all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. You pray with me, family. Father, we thank you uh, for this opportunity, Lord, to uh, be gathered here together in this place, God, and to set our hearts and to set our ears to hear your word, God. Father, we pray that you would enable us by your grace and by your spirit to be not just hearers of your word, God, but also doers of your word. Lord, we accept the challenge and the work, Father, that you desire to do in us in this place, Lord, but we need your help to do it, to perform it, God. And so we thank you for the empowerment of your spirit, God, to do that. Lord, we lift up our pastor, Father, the man of God who is to preach. Father, we pray for his heart, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you have called him, that you have gifted him, Lord, and that he has submitted himself to honor and to obey you and accepting the call, God, and to labor. Father, we pray that we would be good stewards of the gift uh, uh, of him, Lord, as your word declares, Father, that uh, you gave some apostles, some pastors, prophets, evangelists, and teachers, Lord. May we as a body be a good steward over him as a gift to this body, Lord. May we bear him uh, uh, physically and spiritually, Lord. May we commit ourselves to praying for him and his family, Lord. Father, we pray even now on this morning, Lord, that no weariness uh, or, or any other measure would distract him from the labor of this pulpit on this morning, Father, that he would preach with much passion and much power, God, Father, and that above all, your name would be glorified for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. Those of you who are of age 4 to 11, um, you can be dismissed uh, to our City Like Kids time. Uh, Miss Elizabeth is going to be uh, leading our children this morning, so we appreciate that, sis. For the rest of us, how are we doing? Good, good, good. Um, I want to spend a little bit of time talking to you about the, uh, the ideal of Jesus being for everybody. Jesus being for every, everybody. Um, have you guys ever been a part of a PE class, maybe? Um, anybody in the house? Yeah, PE. All right, good deal. Um, so, so you probably had the, um, had the great fortune, a great privilege, great pleasure, or the great misfortune. Just depends on what, what side of the, side of the uh, team you were on of playing a good game of kickball. Anybody? Dodgeball. Anybody? All right, good deal. We got some folks in the house. That's good. Good start. Um, so you remember that dreaded moment in kickball and dodgeball where um, you guys kind of all get against the wall and they get two captains and they start picking people, right? And you always want to be first, but maybe you're not that good. And so they pick, you know, the best person, then they you say, okay, well, that's cool. You know, I'm not first, but, you know, man, hey, you know, I'm not that bad of a kickball player, so certainly, you know, I get picked second, right? 
and they pick some other person, and, and then they pick another person. They pick another person. They pick another person. Have you ever had the? Have you ever had that moment where you actually was the person? And maybe it wasn't kickball, maybe it wasn't dodgeball, maybe it was something else. But have you ever had that moment where you were the person that got picked last? Dead last. Almost like there was something about you that people just didn't want to be around. Um, they, and, and, and there's no other feeling worse than simply just not being wanted, not seemingly being good enough, Right? That's an emotion I want you to keep this morning as we think about the ideal of this, this story. Because there's this group of people that, 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 that God is saving, and people are excited about the fact that God is saving them, and yet there are some people that aren't quite excited about that fact. There are some people that are more so thinking that these people aren't good enough, that they deserve to be maybe on the bench, and not participating in the game at all. And so I want, I, want, I, want, I, want, I want us to read this. I want us to work through this text from the, from the position and the posture of those people, the people that feel left out, right? And I, and I, and I want to announce this from the beginning, and we'll talk about it over and over and over again, but there, there, this idea that Jesus truly is for everybody. Now, sometimes we say that, and we give a hearty amen to that, but we don't necessarily believe that. And it's the, it's the way that we posture ourselves. It's the way that we share the gospel. We share the gospel with some people that we believe Jesus is for, and we don't share the gospel with people that, well, you know, I don't know. It, he's a little too far gone. Are you tracking with that? But I really want us to reckon with this idea that Jesus really and truly is for everybody. Let's do a little recap. Pastor Corey preached a great message last week out of Acts chapter 10. And, and when we left, last left the apostle Peter, he was in the house of a man named Cornelius, a man who was uncircumcised, a, a non-Jewish man who served in the Italian cohort of the Roman army, probably part of the archery command in that group, and, and a man that Peter's traditions and customs would have immediately declared unclean and ultimately prohibited Peter from even going into his house and spending, uh, spending time over a meal with him. And this meeting, this meeting ended up being the unlikeliest of meetings because of that reason. But this meeting was ultimately the unlikeliest of meetings made possible by God himself. He, he sent a divine message via an, via an angel to the Roman soldier, and then he sent a divine message via vision to the apostle Peter. So reluctantly, Peter goes because of what God told him in the vision, not necessarily because he was ultimately all that convinced that the vision was what, or that the people were worthy of going. Basically, God tells Peter in the vision, look, if I declare him clean, I don't care what anybody says about him, he's clean. Does that make sense? And so once Peter arrives and he shares the good news of Jesus with Cornelius and his family, the Spirit of God touches them and everybody in the house gets saved. Now this morning, we want to turn our attention to the aftermath of this moment and what actually, and what actually the gospel teaches about the aftermath. And it's one of the most important lessons that any of us can learn pertaining to the gospel. And it is this, I'll say it again, Jesus is for everybody, even when everybody doesn't want him to be. You see, more, like I said, more than we care to admit, 
We struggle with the issues of supremacy when living out our Christian faith. We love to create lists of who's in and who's out. But what we come to discover is that Jesus doesn't use the same criteria as you and I. Jesus doesn't use the same criteria to determine who belongs to him and who doesn't belong to him. So in order to look and think and act more like him, we must be willing to change how we view those whom he is saving. And so let me give you one step. The first step is that you need to make Christ's mission and Christ's gospel supreme, not your cultural righteousness. You need to make Christ's mission and Christ's gospel supreme, not your cultural righteousness. See, the first mistake that the Jewish believers make when they find out that that these Gentile believers have been touched by God is they put the majority of their focus on who God is reaching rather than celebrate the fact that God is reaching. In verse 1, it says, The apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Even in the early church, divisions were being formed around doctrinal disagreements. The Pentecostal arrival of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 was only a few years ago, and yet people are already trying to start new Greater Mount St. Ebenezer Missionary Baptist Church of the Circumcision Party. It just got started, and they're already trying to separate. So in this circumcision party in verse 2, we have a group of people who have committed to follow Jesus but have not committed to trust him fully for righteousness. They are naming him as Lord while still holding on to the ceremonial customs for their actual moral cleansing. See, circumcision was a mark of the old covenant that was first established in Father Abraham, who had many sons, and many sons had... All right, got some, got some folks that grew up in VBS. But even in the Old Testament, you could see God pointing to something greater. In the Old Testament, God says, Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. And then he says this in Deuteronomy, Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart. He's already pointing to something greater than just the physical act of circumcision. So by this time we get to the New Testament, we have Jesus pointing to a greater covenant being established. Even when we read in Acts chapter 7, the story about about Stephen, when Stephen is stoned in the streets, one of the reasons Stephen gets stoned is because of this line that he quotes. He says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. So highlighting the reality that that Stephen's highlighting the the reality that the kind of circumcision Jesus requires moves beyond pure anatomy. The kind of circumcision that Jesus requires is one of the heart. Now pay close attention to what I just read to you from Stephen. People who are circumcised physically aren't circumcised spiritually because they have resisted the Holy Spirit. People who are circumcised, people rather who are circumcised physically aren't circumcised spiritually because they have resisted the Holy Spirit. In other words, it is the Spirit of God that is the true mark of cleanliness. And it is the Spirit of God that is the true mark of covenant with God. 
as you look at this circumcision party and all, all the glory that this circumcision party is missing out on, they're missing out on what God is doing because of their gut reaction to think about their self-imposed outer requirements for salvation. God's kingdom has invaded Gentile territory right before their very eyes. Christ is on the move. But the only thing they can think about is Peter eating with uncircumcised people. Try to imagine being a missionary that's been called to this really rough part of the city that you're living in and preaching Jesus for years with, with really no significant progress or spiritual fruit to show for it until one day the Spirit moves mightily in this neighborhood that was once riddled with crime and, 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 and drugs and prostitution is one to Jesus Christ and, and crime is reduced and, and broken homes start to be restored and neighborhoods, neighbors begin to reconcile and begin to lock arms to, to combat some of the systemic problems that has plagued their neighborhood for ages. And a church is planted in that neighborhood. And you can't wait to get back to your home church to share the news. But when you get back, you're met at the door by some eager members of your church who want to have a word with you. They have a few questions about this church that you're planting. I heard that they're wearing fitted sports caps with those big flat bibs. Otherwise known as snapbacks in your church. And I hear some I hear some of them have started making rap music for you guys to worship to and I you're going to put a stop to that, right? And I and I hear I hear that that they put a canvas in the church and they're using it to spray graf graffiti and expressing themselves in in art forms. You're going you're going you're going to make sure they don't do that, right? There that has no place in there. I can't even believe that you're worshiping with these people. What would your emotions be in that moment? To see God moving so mightily, and yet people worried about so many minute things. What would your words be in response to that? This is Peter's meeting with the circumcision party in Acts chapter 11. This group has lost sight of what God is doing because they are too locked in on who he is doing it in. They're too blinded by their self-imposed outer requirements to see the inner work of the Spirit of God that has been produced in Cornelius and his family. Just this alone makes them out of step with Jesus. But let's take it a step further. Jesus on several occasions when given a decision to engage the unclean or distance himself from them draws in closer to them, doesn't he? He touches the unclean leper in Mark chapter 1, healing him, healing him of his disease and doing what? Making him clean in the process. He allows the woman with the bleeding disease in Luke 8 to touch him. While most of those holy people would have condemned her and ridiculed her, Jesus offers commendation to the woman for her faith, healing her and cleansing her. Jesus was routinely criticized for engaging those whom his religious counterparts would have deemed unclean. And yet, here we have this circumcision party who's supposed to be followers of Jesus scolding Peter for fellowshipping with people who are what? Quote, unquote, to them, unclean. The question is why? Why make such a big deal about this uncircumcised versus this circumcised when you have your Lord and Savior as an example to walk by? Why make such a big deal about this? 
because of a need to boast. Many times in the New Testament, Paul connects the willingness to hold on to the law, particularly the ceremonial elements like circumcision and that type of thing. He connects it to a need to establish my own righteousness. And he, and he connects this need to establish my own righteousness to a commitment to boasting. Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, he says, It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. Did you hear that? They want to make a good showing in themselves. Point to how great they are to see you get circumcised. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ, they're ultimately trying to protect their interests and try to keep themselves from being persecuted in that day and time by, by showing themselves that they're just like everybody else around them. For even those who are circumcised do not keep themselves, or do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in the flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul says they're trying to get you circumcised because they're trying to boast. But far be it from me to boast in anything but Jesus. He's my only boast. The gospel removes all grounds of boasting. Salvation is not based on circumcision. It's not based on ceremonial law-keeping. It's not based on an elite cultural background. Salvation is built on one thing and one thing alone. Salvation by grace alone through faith alone. Paul says in, in, in Romans chapter 3, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. It's not a part of the equation. Salvation comes by faith alone, through grace alone. This spread of God's kingdom to all people circumcised and uncircumcised, Gentile and Jewish, male and female, strips the boast of the uncircumcised or the circumcised party away from them. And that becomes a problem. Not just for them, but for us, because let's be honest, many of us like our boast. Some of us at times love our boast in our culture more than we love God's kingdom. Some of us at, our, at times love our boast in our Americanism more than we love God's kingdom. Some of us at times love our boast in our European heritage more than we love God's kingdom. Some of us in our boast at times love our blackness more than we love God's kingdom. Some of us at times love our boast in our republicanism or our democratism more than we love God's kingdom. And so when God's kingdom begins to rub up against these things, we don't like it. We start saying things like, you've got to be Republican in order to love Jesus. However, as kingdom people, our hearts must not be fixed on external standards of righteousness. Our hearts must be fixed on the advancement of God's kingdom through all nations, all cultures, even if it costs me welcoming to my family and bringing into proximity people that are outside of my actual culture. Does that make sense? This will help us continue to wholeheartedly endorse the idea that Jesus is truly for everybody. Here's another way to do it. Keep pushing back your cultural righteousness from Christ's mission or for Christ's mission and his gospel. Keep pushing back your cultural righteousness. I said you got to choose, choose Christ's mission and his gospel instead of your cultural righteousness or cultural supremacy. 
But I'm also saying keep pushing it back. Let me explain why. What's interesting about this text is not just how Peter is helping us fight against a preferential gospel that chooses some people and doesn't choose others, but how God is orchestrating the fight by offering us a few important mental, mental helps in this text. This is what I mean. Peter tells this story. We read it earlier in Acts chapter 11, verse 4 through 14. Corey preached it. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time unpacking verses 4 through 14 because Corey did a wonderful job preaching it. Let's just say that Peter is a proud Jew who won't allow unclean things to enter his body, even though his Savior told him in the Gospels while he walked the earth that is not what enters a man that makes him unclean, but what? What comes out of a man? Lust, greed, malice, hatred, all sorts of things. Nevertheless, Peter is holding his high dietary standards and opposing God's instruction in this vision when God says of the animals that come down out of heaven, Peter, slay and eat. Peter says, oh, no, I've never touched anything unclean, never touched anything common. I won't eat that. What is the point of this divine revelation, this divine vision? God is saying, I'm about to send you some people Peter, and even though they are uncircumcised Gentiles and quote-unquote unclean and common to you, don't you dare call those people unclean and common anymore because I have cleansed them, and I have set them aside for my purpose. And this is the message of the gospel. God sent his only son to die and become the righteousness that we need in order to have relationship with him, and we no longer need to establish a relationship on our own. And now all people are welcome to God's table, even those outside of the Jewish cultural and ethnic camp. So Peter, with this vision firmly in his grasp, goes to Cornelius and his family, and the rest is history. But there's one more thing I want you to notice about the story. Notice that God repeats the vision three times. He doesn't just... He doesn't just give Peter this vision where the, the animals come down and he says, slay and eat. Peter says, oh, I wouldn't do that. And then he says, um, that which I cleanse, don't call unclean. And Peter says, okay. And then the vision is over. No, he repeats it. Same thing. Shows him again. Then he repeats it. Same thing. Shows him again. Why is he repeating the vision? See, the point apparently is important enough that God feels it necessary to give it to Peter multiple times. But here's another interesting thing, another mental note in this text. This is not the only repetition that we see. Luke, the author of the gospel, Luke and the author of Acts, thinks that this particular story is important enough to repeat it, even though he literally just told us the story a handful of verses ago in chapter 10. What's interesting about this is that repetition in ancient writings or even modern writings, are meant to highlight the importance of a topic. So apparently what God has to say here is very important, not only for Peter, because he gives Peter this vision over and over and over again, but it's important for the reader who's reading about Peter because he gives it to us twice, even though it's right next to each other in chapter 10 and chapter 11. See, God could have shown Peter the vision once and said, all right, you know what to do, get up, let's go. God could have gave us the story once, and then in chapter 11, we hear that we hear basically Mark write, uh, uh, Luke write, rather, so Peter told them to uh, 
told, told him the story about Cornelius and his family. And, you know, the rest is history. All right, you guys know that because I just told y'all that a few verses ago. But instead, we get this mental tool of repetition placed in front of us. Why? Because cultural, ethnic, racial, religious supremacy dies hard. Cultural, ethnic, racial, religious supremacy dies hard. Take Peter, for example. We don't have the exact timeline, but let's just say roughly a decade or so later, the Apostle Paul ends up confronting Peter in Galatians chapter 2. And do you know what the Apostle Paul ends up confronting Peter about? I'll read it for you. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Listen closely. He says, Then when Cephas, Paul is talking, Cephas is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before creation men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself. Listen, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So Paul confronts Peter for, lo for losing sight of the gospel that saves both uncircumcised and circumcised. The same thing 10 years ago that we're reading about right now. The same Peter that we're reading about right now who is correcting the circumcision party about this very thing. The same Peter who had a vision from God about this very same thing. The same Peter who watched God the Father send his spirit down to indwell these men and women and bring salvation to their homes. The same Peter. Paul has to confront that same Peter. Why? Because religious, racial, ethnic, and cultural supremacy dies hard. But not just Peter. Notice who else is a character in Galatians 2. The circumcision party. The same party that 10 years ago probably Peter was addressing and saying, no, these people are welcome. And no, they are clean. And no, I am free to dine with them and eat with them as my brothers and sisters in Christ. This same party was the group that in verse 18 we read, they say, hey, we see God has done work and that he's brought repentance to the Gentiles. And now this party is back, up, back at their tricks again, saying, no, you're not supposed to eat with unclean people, uncircumcised people. Uh, that's, not, that's, not, that's not Christian of you. Supremacy dies hard, y'all. Elitism dies hard, y'all. Cultural boasting dies hard. No matter how many times we say that the, the gospel has flattened the field and brought all of us to the foot of the cross, the tendency is always there to resort back to, but my music is better than yours and it's more holy. The tendency is always to resort back to, but my style of worship is better than yours and it's more holy. The tendency is always to revert back to, but my people are better than yours and more holy. 
in order to maintain a posture in our hearts that proclaims that Jesus is truly for everybody, we must maintain vigilance to do what Paul did to Peter in that moment, and that is confront him with the gospel. The gospel. Confront ourselves with the gospel. Remind each other of the gospel, that this God, that he came not to save some, but this God came to save the world, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. Lastly, in order to maintain a posture in our hearts that proclaims Jesus is for everybody, we must never underestimate the work of the Spirit in bringing salvation. Never underestimate the work of the Spirit in bringing salvation. So look at verse 15 and notice that Peter connects this experience to help help his Jewish circumcised brothers understand what God is doing. Peter connects the experience of the Gentiles to their experience. He says in verse 15, as I begin to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. See, welcoming this new group of people into the family of Christ is unusual enough that the evidence required to show that they are a part of the family has to be significant. And it is. Peter says, hey, the Spirit fell on them. And notice that, that it's been years since Pentecost happened. And God certainly has touched other people around them. And God has certainly saved other people around them. But this particular group of people, these uncircumcised people who all the Jewish people would be prone to declare unclean and unfit for God's kingdom. Peter says, God put the spirit on them the way he put the spirit on us in Acts chapter 2. You understand what, he's, you understand what God is doing there? Basically saying, hey, y'all are equal. Y'all on the same level. You're on the same playing field. Yes, you may be circumcised. Yes, he may be uncircumcised, but I've called you both. And the dignity that I've given has been given to both of you in equal measure. And the worth that I have assigned has been assigned to both of you in equal measure. And your purposes are just as significant. And your call to bring me glory is just, it's, it's the same. Do you understand that? The Gentiles are given the same experience that the Jews are given. Those who were once considered unclean were given the same spirit with the same force and the same intensity as those who had considered themselves clean. And the connection is clear. They've been given what, they, what, what we've been given because they are like us. They are a part of the family. Verse 17, Peter says, and then God gave them the same gift. Notice that? The word, same. He's connecting this reality. that They have exactly what we have. And so he says, if God gave them the same gift as he gave to us when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Let me ask you a question. Can you think of some times, some moments in your Christian life where you've actually stood in God's way of reaching someone? Can you think of some moments, some times in your Christian life 
where you let preferences stand in the way. You let your music stand in the way. You let style of dress stand in the way. You let your ethnicity and your color stand in the way. You let your nationalism stand in the way. Your patriotism stand in the way. Can you think of some moments? I don't have to think hard. I can think of plenty of moments. Not just personal moments, but I can think of national moments. I can look at what's going on a lot in, in, in our society today in the way that we're handling a lot of issues. And I can see some opportunities where maybe, maybe if we handled it a little bit differently, we would possibly open some doors to Christ. But our witness is obstructing the way to Jesus. If I'm honest, I believe there's many times in my life where God had to reach some folks around me in spite of me. Maybe it was me not being open to sharing the gospel with them like I should. Maybe it was me harming the witness of the gospel by, by my harshness or my pettiness that I treated a person with. Maybe there was an opportunity for me to share the gospel in a restaurant, and because, and because I was so, so slaw in my conduct towards the waiter, the waiter didn't even want to listen to anything I had to say from that point forward. Maybe it was me obstructing the, that person's path to the gospel because of my own preconceived ideas about whether they were ready to actually receive the gospel. Maybe it was cultural supremacy rearing its ugly head. See, Peter says, man, listen, I've watched the Spirit do work here. And who am I to get in the way of what God is doing? I'm stepping outside of the, I'm stepping out of the way and I'm letting God move because these people deserve to receive what I've been given. Verse 18, the Gentiles agree, or rather the circumcision party and all those that are gathered, the Jewish brothers and sisters, they agree. In verse 18, it says, when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. And I need you to understand one last thing as we're wrapping this thing up, the idea that when I say don't underestimate the working of the Holy Spirit and let that be a means of guiding you to the truth that Jesus really is for everybody, I'm talking in particular about this final verse. Here's a very important lesson that we would all benefit to learn from. The act of repentance according to the men and women that are gathered in this moment is a gift from God. He says, then to the Gentiles, also God granted, God granted, God granted the ability to turn. You say, well, that's, that's, I don't know about that. Well, let's just think about it. God arranges the contact. You got Cornelius over here in Joppa. You got Peter, or rather Peter in Joppa. Cornelius in um, Caesarea. So you got them in different places, right? Cornelius gets what? The angel, messenger. You need to get Peter. Peter gets what? A vision from God saying you need to go see this brother. Otherwise, they don't meet, do they? So God grants the appointment. God arranges the contact. God gives the message to Peter. It's not his gospel. It's God's gospel. 
He gives the message to Peter. God, Peter says, while I was preaching, the Holy Spirit fell. Peter says, I didn't get, the, I didn't get to the good part. Right? I didn't, I didn't get to my closing. Peter didn't even get to his hoop. And they were already filled with the Spirit. And so God gives the Spirit to fall on them even while he's preaching just to let him know it's not your preaching. But it's the Spirit that I'm giving you. And then he turns the conscience. The Scripture says that he is the one who grants them the repentance, and repentance is a turning, a 180-degree turning of conscience back to God, and they say, God gave that to them, so we're good. What does that mean? That means how can you feel like you're supreme in anything when God is the one doing it all? How can you feel supreme over one culture or the other when you're here because God did the work? You're here because God sent someone to you. You're here because God spoke to you through some willing vessel. You're here because of God's gospel message that reached you. You're here because God penetrated your heart with that gospel message. You're here because God awakened the conscience to, to sense that need for him. You're not here because you're great. You're here because God's great. Amen. You tracking with that? Amen. And so the whole reality of cultural and racial and ethnic and religious supremacy all crumbles under the gospel because we realize that it is God's working in us that makes it possible for us to be here. And so I can lean into brothers that aren't like me and I can say, listen, man, God did it all for me. And he'll do it all for you, too. And I can lean in to a sister and I can say, hey, listen, you want to wear that? Cool. T-shirt? Hey, be my guest. You tracking with that? I can lean into another brother. Hey, you want to put your fitted on? Put your fitted on. Come on, join me, to, join me at church. Because God did it all. And that is not my cultural supremacy that has bought me any credit in heaven. But it is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that is paid for all of it. And when we begin to take that, when we begin to internalize that, then all of a sudden it's easier for us to sing with joy or to, or, to, or to yell with joy or to proclaim with joy that Jesus truly is for everybody. And so let that be our declaration, not just this morning, but let that be our declaration from henceforth. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Let's go before the Lord. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for your goodness and your grace and your mercy towards us. Thank you for the work that you have done in bringing us all here. And Father, there are some people that, that you have orchestrated this meeting that's in the room right now that may not know you, that may be just trying to process all of this and figure out, man, I, 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 you know, I, I, feel, like, I feel like I need something more than what I have. I just, I just don't know if I'm ready to, 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 to lay my life down at the feet of Jesus. Father, I pray that your spirit would press in on them right now. And that, you, and that you would show them 
You would show them like you showed Peter. Who else can we go? Where else can we go? Where else can we run to? You have the words of eternal life. Help them see, Lord God, that the answer is you and that, and that running anywhere else is a fruitless endeavor. May they lay their lives down at your feet. And Father, for those of us who have already done so, may you encourage us, Lord God, to be bold witnesses to every person we encounter, to share your gospel, Lord God, and to live with the truth, to live with this truth embedded and imprinted in our hearts that your son literally is for everybody, every race, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every ethnicity. Father, seal these things on the inside of our heart for the glory of your name and the eternal joy and good of your people. These things we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 As we uh, prepare to head out, um, we'd like to sing one last song in, in, in celebration of, of Christ and what he's done. But as we sing that song, please feel free. If there's anyone in here in, the, in, 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 um, in this gathering this morning that would like someone to join you in prayer, would you please come down? as we're singing this song. And someone will meet you and someone will pray with you. Uh, we, we, have, we have.